Well, it's good to be here this morning. It's been, I think, two and a half years since I've been here last to preach. So I guess you finally got over that last one and, and allowed me to come back. This morning, as we get started, I, I thought I'd tell you a story. A coworker came came to me a couple weeks ago, and she was telling me about some of the problems that she had in her life. She was telling me that she had a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and she was starting to have some panic attacks in her life. And say someone came to you and, and said that, what would you say to them? How do you respond to that? Because you probably know that's a touchy subject in our society now. What I, tell, what I told her and what I, I normally tell everyone that comes to me with different problems they're having in their life was, have you been to church lately? When was the last time you went to church? And I got to thinking about this statement. What is going to church one, maybe two hours a week when you're not living a Christian lifestyle, what is that going to really do to get rid of this deep-rooted anxiety or really any deep-rooted sin? Think about, think about brushing your teeth. I'm a dentist. I like to talk about teeth. Maybe you say, I'm done brushing. I'm, I'm tired of brushing, and I know it's gross. I'm tired of brushing. I'm tired of flossing. I'm not doing it anymore. But every six months, I'm going to get those guys cleaned. Every six months, I'm going to go in. I'm going to be consistent on my six-month cleanings. That's not going to do anything. Your teeth are going to decay because you're not consistently brushing your teeth every day. And we're crazy to think in the same way that showing up to church once a week without involvement in other things, that that's going to fix our deep-rooted sin problems that we have in our lives. This morning, I want to talk to you I guess I'm kind of in the way. I want to talk to you about checking the church box. And as Christians, we've gotten into the habit of, of thinking that we can just check this church box. That showing up to the, to the services of the church, the assembly of the church on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon maybe, just one to two hours a week, that that checks our responsibility to God. And through my studies, I've found that there's a, a tremendous difference between the assembly of the church and the community of the church. The community of God's people. And to understand this and to understand the difference between these two concepts, there's a word that we need to go over uh, that's in the Greek. And this is the only Greek word we're going to, to look at this morning. Um, but I want you to understand this. I, I don't want to make this complicated, but I think that it's a really important word to look at because it's used 115 times in the New Testament. And this word, ekklesia, is the word that translates to church, to our English word of church. And so what I want to look at before we get really into what church is, I want to look at what did the common person of the New Testament, not, not necessarily someone who was a Christian, but just a general person, just a gen, general citizen of the New Testament times, what did they think about, what, what did the word ecclesia mean to them? And that's an assembly of citizens. You look at Acts 19 verse 32, Paul had just come to Ephesus and he wanted to teach these people about Christ. And so he comes there and he teaches about Christ and it really upset a lot of people. The problem was their God or their goddess was Diana. They worshiped Diana. They sacrificed to Diana. Everything in Ephesus was about the goddess of Diana. And so they were really upset about this. And so they, they grabbed Paul. They grabbed Paul's companions. They rushed all of them to this massive amphitheater to convene this meeting. And we read in, in Acts 19... Some therefore cried one, one thing and some another, for the assembly or the ecclesia was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. 
And so this is an example of a New Testament ecclesia, just a general assembly where everyone comes together for a purpose. Um, and, and, and ecclesia was a common thing back then. Here, though, in Matthew 16, this is the first time that Christ used this word ecclesia um, to, describe his, uh, to describe God's people. He says in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church or my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And it would have been odd. You, you, as a, a citizen, you see this word ecclesia used to mean just a general assembly. And so you see Christ coming and he's saying, I'm going to build my ecclesia. And just like that was a, a, the purpose of an ecclesia back then, was a people coming together for a purpose, Christ used it in the same way. Christ says, I'm going to bring my people together for a purpose. And I think that's specifically why he chose this word uh, to use, because that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be his people put together for a purpose. So, ecclesia, it's a, it's a compound noun. Just like uh, we have compound words in the English language, they had compound words back then. You think about the word toothbrush. We understand what that means. It's, you know what a tooth is, you know what a brush is, and you combine those together, and it's a brush for your teeth. Same way back then with, with Greek words. Ek, the beginning of that word means out of, and kaleo, the other part of that, means to call. And so you put that together, ecclesia means the called out or the call the way. And so we read in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called, that's that word kaleo, you out of ek, darkness, into his marvelous light. And so we're the called out. We're called out of darkness. We're God's own special people that I mentioned earlier. We're a chosen generation. And we need to, to make sure we know and understand what that means so that we can be that. We're the community of God's people. Two verses here that, that illustrate this. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, the ecclesia, daily those who were being saved. Likewise, greet the church, the ecclesia that is in, the house, in their house. Greet my beloved Epineatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And so... When you look at the word ecclesia in this sense, this is, this is the in, invisible church. This is the spiritual church. This isn't just an assembly of people in a building. This is the, the spiritual part. This is God's people. And I want, I want you to notice about this, and it's a big distinction between the assembly of, of God's people versus the community of God's people, is this involves only the saved people. Only the people that are members of Christ are involved in this ecclesia the called out people that we read earlier in 1 Peter. And this is different from the assembly of God's people. 1 Corinthians 14, 28. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church or the ecclesia, the assembly, and let him speak to himself and to God. And so just like back then, there were members of the church that were at the assembly, but there were also people that weren't saved. Probably the same case this morning. There's people here that are saved, but people that are probably not saved as well. And so it, it, it's all those, those combinations between the saved and the unsaved that make up the assembly. And that's different between the, that's the difference between the visible versus the in, invisible church. The invisible church is the people who are saved. The, the visible church is the assembly of the church, and that includes both the saved and the unsaved. So two concepts that have really messed our definition of what church is 
I'm going to church tomorrow. And, and we've all said that, and, and we probably mean well when we say that. But I'm going to church tomorrow means I'm going to the assembly of the church tomorrow. Not the, not the invisible church, not the community of God's people. Another thing that, that someone or you might have asked or someone has asked you, where do you go to church? And this, where do you go to church, that's not a, a concept of the New Testament. That's something that, that humans, through the English language, we've had to, to come up with. Um, buildings of worship were not referred to as churches until somewhere around 500 A.D. So 500 years after the establishment of the church is when that concept first arose. And it arose because of division. It wasn't a, a concept in the New Testament of where do you go to church because the church was the people of God. That's something that we've had to create because of division. We go to an ecclesia because we are the ecclesia. We go to an assembly of the church because we're the community of God's people coming together. Without the ecclesia, without the community of God's people, this building is just a building. It becomes the, it becomes the church when God's people show up. When you come to this church building, that's when this becomes the church, when God's people show up. And so you can see how this, this concept has really messed with our society's definition of what it means to be involved in church. Because people think that, that just showing up to a, a church assembly checks the box of, I've been to church for the week. I've been involved for the week. I don't need to do anything else. And so I want to talk to you about community in the ecclesia. And I think it's, it's so important to understand what it means to be a part of the community of God's people. I was reading through my Bible as I was preparing for this, and I saw that, that heading of Vital Church Grows. And when you see a heading like that, what does that make you want to do? It makes me want to read it, because I want this, this body of believers here at Anna Street, I want it to grow. I want it, I want it to become, become just exciting to be here, and people are involved in the church. And so what I did is, we're going to read about that. I want to know how that happens. And so in Acts 2, verse 40, this is right after uh, Peter had just preached on the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verses 40 through 47, we're going to read a couple of verses here. And with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so I think you can see where I'm going with this. They were together. It was all about community. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions. Anyone who needed anything, they shared it among themselves. That's what community is. They ate together in people's homes. They were involved in each other's lives. And so I ask you, is this what your church ecclesia looks like? Are you involved in church like these people were? Because this is when the church grew. And if the church is going to grow, we have to be a part of that community. We have to desire to be a part of that. There's probably people here that go to church regularly that you don't even know each other's names. 
And I, I don't know a lot of people's names here either. There's a lot of new people. And so we need to make sure that not only are we involved on a superficial level where we know each other's names, but we know what's going on in each other's lives. We're involved at that deep of a spiritual level with each other. So I looked at a lot of different research when I was putting this together, and Pew Research did a lot of different studies on what it means to be a part of the church. So they did this study, how involved are Christians in their congregations? And they rated, uh, rated you based high, medium, and low. And what high involvement was, was you were showing up multiple services uh, a week, you were involved in prayer groups, you were involved in things outside of the church service, uh, fellowship outside the church service. And then they ranked people, or they, they ranked people based on percentages of how people were involved. The Church of Christ got 44% that were highly involved, and this ranked well below most of these other churches. You think about Baptist, Methodist, whatever. 44%. And I was looking at uh, the higher numbers here, and Mormon and Jehovah Witness were above 75%. I think it was 77%. And I started thinking about that, and I had a lot of friends who were Mormon in dental school. And I, I believe that number, because every night they're in each other's houses. They're eating together. They're involved through the weekend with each other. They know what's going on in each other's lives, and I believe that. And so I ask you, as you look at this 44%, are you a part of the 44% or are you a part of the 56% that's not highly involved? I think we need to look, do a lot of introspective looking this morning and, and see kind of where we fall. Do you desire to be a part of the ecclesia? Or is this just something that, that you, Sunday morning I'm checking it off, Sunday afternoon I'm checking it off. Or do you look forward to seeing the people here and, and being involved and having conversation, not just on Sunday, but, but throughout the week, throughout the weekend? Or are this, the people here, are they just part of your faith? Just a, maybe even an irritating part of your faith. I've been there. I've, I've seen it happen. Another part of Pew Research, they, they did another study and they asked, why do you go to church? What, what's the reason that you go to the physical assembly of the church? And um, these are all good reasons. The top one, to become closer to God. So children will have a moral foundation to make me a better person for comfort in times of trouble and sorrow. 59% said, I find the sermons valuable. And these are all great reasons, but the community, being part of the community, was number six. And you can see by the definition of what church is, is people don't get it. People don't understand what it means to be a part of church because only 57% desire to be a part of the community of God, the community of the church when that's by definition what it is. That is church. Among those who rarely attend religious services, nearly 4 in 10, 37% say they don't go because they practice their faith in other ways. What does that mean? You practice, you've probably heard that. What that tells me is that there's little desire for people to want to be involved in the community. There's little desire for people to be involved in each other's lives. And I think that the root cause of this, and you probably know this already, is that we're self-absorbed. We, we love to do things that we love to do. We don't like to, to do things that other people like to do. If it makes us uncomfortable, we don't want to do it. If it's going to be a hassle, we don't want to do it. If I've got to go out of my way to do it, don't want to do it. 
So I ask you, do you desire to be a part of the community? Do you go out of your way to participate in the church, the, the activities of the church? Or do you worry or do you care about only doing what you desire? I think it's something we need to, to really ask ourselves. And I looked at individuality versus community. And in an individualistic mindset, it's all about individual achievement. How can I make myself better? How can I progress um, in this situation? It's all about self-expression. Very self-centered. It's non-committal. And you see people that are non-committal, and I've been non-committal at times. If I don't care about it, generally I'm non-committal. And so think about the church service. Are you non-committal? Think about being in par a part of the community. Are you non-committal with that? On the other hand, though, you have community. And a community mindset, that, that mindset that we saw in Acts chapter 2 um, with all these people coming together, it's all about group success. It's relational. We're all about the relationships together, doing what we can to grow together and having good relationships together. It's authentic. And it's committed. When you believe in a cause, you're committed to it. You'll do whatever you need to do to grow that cause. And so I hope that that's your mindset when it comes to the church, when it comes to the ecclesia, of the body of believers of Christ. Because this community, this we mindset, that's what Christ is purposed in His church. That's what Christ wants with this church. That's what God calls us to be. So two chapters later, after Acts chapter 2, um, let's find out what happened to those Christians there. What are they doing now? Now the multitude of those who believed were in one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all, the, all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things which were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. Does this look like an individualistic mindset? Not at all. They were so concerned about how do we grow the community? How can we be a part and how can we have this authentic, genuine mindset where it's about we, not about me? And these pe people in Acts, not only in Acts chapter 2, not only in Acts chapter 4, but even further, they, they continued to love each other. They wanted to grow together and they were so part of community that they shared everything. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that we need to do. We don't need to sell everything that we have. But we've got to do something. We've got to get more on that, that community mindset than more on the, the me mindset, or the individual, individualistic mindset. And so ask yourself this morning, do you desire to be a part of the community of God? Because these Christians did, and I think they're a great example or are you disconnected from the ecclesia? And I really want you to think about that. You may come to the assembly like I talked about two times a week. You may attend a Bible study every now and then. But are you truly connected to the church? That's a, that's a serious, serious question. Are you truly involved in God's church, in God's community? Hebrews chapter 10.25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, the, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. In the past, Hebrews 10.25, I've heard it used to preach church attendance. And I don't think that that's what the purpose of Hebrews 10.25 was. I think that, yes, we need to go to church, the assembly of the church, but I think it's saying you need to be involved in, in everything. 
assemble together for food night, for, for food, Assem- assemble together for game night, assemble together for many different things, be involved in each other's lives, for worship, for gatherings, for social, whatever. And in, in order to understand Hebrews 10.25, we need to look at the context of, of what's happening here. So I go to, back up to Hebrews 10.24. That verse says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And then there's a comma. And that, that comma means that thought continues. And so when I read that, let us consider, up, consider one another in, in order to stir up love and good works. How do I do that? How do I stir up people to love and good works? By being involved. By not forsaking being together. Whether that's the church assembly, whether that's game night, social gathering, whatever. We're involved in each other's lives. How are you going to stir people up to love and good works? If you're not around, if you're only involved in each other's lives one, two hours a week. And I'm not trying to say that this verse is saying that church attendance isn't important. I'm, I'm saying the exact opposite. It's so important. In fact, I think, we've, I think we've set the bar way too low. That's what we've done when we've made the standard of you being a good Christian as showing up to church and checking that church box off several times a week. This verse, these verses in Hebrews chapter 10 set the bar way higher than that. You need to be involved, yes, at the assembly, but every facet of every part of our lives, we need to be involved in each other, with each other. So is it possible that there are those here with perfect attendance who have done no more to love the brethren than a how are you in passing in the foyer? And it's a habit. You know, you walk in and you say, hey, how are you doing? And it's a habit. And it's hard to break that. But the Christian mindset is not, how are you? It's, how are you doing? In your spiritual life, I want to be involved. I want to know, how can I help you? How can I be a brother to you? It's not just a superficial relationship. The ecclesia, it's deep. It's compassionate. It's caring. It's, I'll do whatever I need to do to help you. And we can't get to that point if we're only around each other a few times a week for just a few minutes and it's all superficial. One of the ways that people have gotten out of... Is it possible that there are those who have perfect assembly attendance but never see or talk to their Christian family outside of the building? Do you fall into that category? I think it's something that we, that we really need to look at, at our lives and see, do we fall into that? But one of the ways that people have gotten out of, out of assembly attendance that I've actually seen people say is I'm spiritual but not religious. And you, you've probably heard that said before. That was something that was really common really over the last 10 years. And it was, it was really trendy when I was in college. Basically, it's a way to say, I want to have faith. I want to love God. I want God to be involved in my life. I want to pray to God. But I don't want to have to deal with, with people that are in the church. I don't want to have to listen to how you want me to worship. I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I don't want to have to to worry about you. I don't want to have to care about you. I don't want to have to help you, but I want to love God. In other words, I want to love God, but I don't want to have to love you. Do we think like that? Is that a mindset that we have sometimes where the people in this building are just irritating to us? Another part of research that I looked at was by Lifeway Christian Resources. This was 10 years ago. So 20 to 30 year olds, they're now 30 to 40 year olds. 
72% said that they were more spiritual than religious. That's a huge number. And what this does is this, this gives them the freedom to decide what's spiritual. What, what, what group do I want to be a part of? Because I don't want to have to listen to, to what the group, the, what the church of God has to say. For example, Yancey comes up to me and he, he says, you are the coolest. Everything you do is awesome. Everything you, the way you talk is awesome. I, I, just everything about you is great. And I think you and I, we can be friends. But your wife, she's crazy. I don't like the way she talks. I don't like the way she walks. I don't like anything about her. But you and I, we can be buddies. We can be best friends. What am I going to say to him? No. We're together. For, for you to get her, you get me. And for, me to get her, for you to get me, you get her. We're combined. We're together. And that's the same way of the church. You don't get God without getting God's people. You've got to be involved in each other's lives. There's no separation there. Ann Greeley, she, uh, she had this statement that I, when I was researching this that I really liked and really found true. She said, People seem not to have the time nor the energy or interest to delve deeply into any one faith or religious tradition. So they move through, collecting ideas and practices and tenets that most appeal to the self and making no connections to groups or communities. And I think we've seen evidence of that. She's right. We're more connected than ever more superficially connected than ever, but we're not deeply connected to anything because we're superficially connected to everything. What are you deeply connected to? And I want you to, to really think about that. Are you deeply connected to this ecclesia, this church here, these, these believers here? Are you deeply connected to your technology or your work? What are you deeply connected to in your life? How has this affected you? And real quickly, I want to talk about virtual church. Because I've seen this really wreck a lot of people. And the last couple of years, we've seen, we've seen a lot of people go um, to live stream. And a lot of people still haven't come back. And a lot of people's only sense of church is sitting at home and watching a church service. They're not involved. And I think you can see based on the stuff we've talked about, the definition of what church is and the community of the church doesn't check this box. I mean, Facebook Live, YouTube, Zoom, listening to podcasts, sometimes that's people's only sense of church. And I think that we can see based on, on what we've talked about this morning that, that that's not the case. Just like showing up to the assembly one hour a week, two hours a week, that doesn't cut it. These live streams and stuff like that, if you're not involved in people's life outside of that, that doesn't cut it either. We need to be involved in each other's lives. And, and really seeking how we can be uh, a part of God's church. These, these medias, yes, they served a purpose, and they still serve a purpose, but we need to make sure that's not the only thing that we're, that we're looking at whenever we're thinking about church. Romans chapter 12, verse 4, For as, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The church cannot function at its fullest potential without every individual joining together and giving the gift that they have, giving the, the power that they have, giving whatever they have to offer the church. Um, the church can't grow. It needs unity. It needs oneness. 
And the ultimate goal of the ecclesia is to have oneness. And you need to be involved in the church for it to have oneness. So for the last part of our sermon, I want to talk about oneness in the ecclesia and what that means. Because this is really the heart of the sermon. This is really the most important part of what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. I think Ephesians chapter 4 is, is really the heart of the subject here because it's the perfect description of unity. And I hope that you'll, you'll listen as we go through the next part of our, our sermon. Ephesians chapter 4, the first six verses. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There's that word kaleo again. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. You bear with one another in love. And, and you think about all these different things with lowliness and gentleness, endeavoring to keep the unity in the bond of peace. And I think about what bond is, and that's glue. That's, that's being so close together, so one together. And that's what God wants us to do. We need to, we need to have a bond with each other. We need glue, like a, the analogy of glue. That needs to be what holds us together as a Christian family. And you can't do that if you're only around each other for several, several hours out of the week. We really need to be involved in that and really thinking about that. And just like every other group in the New Testament had their problems, they, uh, the church at Ephesus certainly did. They all came from different backgrounds. And as you can imagine, that can, that can really wreck a church. When people have all different ideas of how things should be done, all ideas of how their culture has run things in the past, and that's what Paul's saying here to his letter to the church at Ephesus is you need to, to be one. In all things, you need to be one. And this word one is mentioned so many different times just in these first six verses here. It's all about unity, keeping the unity together. And you don't experience that unity if you're not together. So unity through diversity. And we're going to look at 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to show this. And the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 all are all about this spirit who came and he gave you all these different gifts. You get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift and you get a gift. And not that only you would use your gift and you would only use your gift and you would only use your gift, but that we would all use our gifts together to grow the church. And in doing so, there's a, a big growth because of that, not just a, a I guess it's a exponential that's the word that I'm looking exponential growth because we're all using our our gifts together and so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12 he continues and says for as the body is one member and has many members but all the members of that one body being many are one body so also is Christ for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free and all have been made to drink in one spirit for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. The Spirit of God, the community of God, the ecclesia of God is about building a family. And that's what the church is. It's a family. And he mentions several different groups here, Jews and Greeks. And, and you can't think of anybody who are more opposite. These Greeks had come in and really disrupted the Jewish way of life. They were, they were really causing big issues for them as a society. You think about slaves and free, someone who is being owned by someone and someone who's doing the owning of someone. Two completely different, different people. 
And God says through the spirit of oneness, through the church, we can make these people brothers. You can be a part of the same church through the faith of God, through the, through the love of God. And the spirit makes them a family. It takes their diversity and it, make, it gives them unity. And you've probably heard people say, well, I'm going to get my group of people together, we'll get my family, and we're just going to do church together because we all think the same way, we were raised the same way, we do things the same way. We're just, it's going to be easier that way if we just, we just stick to, to the people that are similar to us. And the problem with that is your friends, your family, who think just like you, they think just like you. And there's no diversity in that. And Paul, later on, he gives this illustration of an eye. And he says, if everyone were eyes, where would be the hands? Or where would be the hearing? And so you think about that like, a, like an actual illustration of that. Imagine that you're an eye, that your only purpose is to see. You, you're an eye, you have no other body parts. All you can do is see. Well, what happens if you're an eye and you get something in you? You go up to your eye friend and you say, I got a problem here. And they say, oh, I had that happen once before. That stinks. What do you need? You need a hand. You need someone to, to help get that, that dust out of your eye. Well, those, those hands, they just they think differently. I don't like being around them. They act differently. They have different thoughts. And that's, that's the illustration here is the community of God is made up with a diverse group of people so that we can grow as a group, that your diversity, your differences cause me to grow as well. And we do that when we get similar people who think the same exact thing as us, similar interests, similar education, similar backgrounds. And, and you think about our service. If, if Trevor was leading every song, they'd all be new songs. If Matt was leading songs, they'd probably all be old ones, proudly. And so the community of the church, the church assembly, we're, we're grown, we're benefited because not only do we get new songs, not only do we get old songs, but we get diversity in how we look at things, how we, how we go about doing things. And what God, what honors God is when we come together despite our differences and we grow the church and we love each other and we have this bond together uh, through, through Christ. Got just a few more things to say. You think about Matthew and Simon. There, there couldn't have been two more different people that Jesus would have called to be his 12 disciples. Matthew is a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government and collected taxes from these Jewish people. And Simon, a Jewish guy, is a zealot. He hates the Roman government. He wants to overthrow the Roman government. And Christ says, you two, I want you to be a part of my 12 and they grow together. They, they travel with Christ and they help, help grow the church in, in the infancy of the church. And he takes two people that are completely different and he accomplishes his purpose and he grows the church. At my granddad's funeral a couple years ago, um, this, this man, as, as their, people are walking through and, and looking um, at the casket, this man comes up and, and he is crying his eyes out. And I... I Never have seen this man before. My granddad was 75 years old. This guy was Hispanic. He was in his 30s. He had tattoos running down his arms, earrings in. This man looked nothing like my granddad. But this guy, I mean, he was sobbing. I've never seen anybody cry that way. 
And he came up to us afterwards and he said, your granddad and I, he's been taking me to my AA meetings for the last, I don't know, it was like six months. We've become friends. Your, grand, your granddad was a brother to me. Come to find out, they were really good friends. None of us knew about that. But they were brothers in Christ. And Christianity, the Christ, that's what brought these two men together. These two men loved each other. They were great, great friends. And that's what the church can do. That's what Christ can do. He can take two people from completely different backgrounds, people that don't look at all alike, and he can make them brothers or sisters in Christ. I read a book back in uh, eighth grade. It's called The Screw Tape Letters. And I don't know if you've read that before. It's, I really encourage you to. It's a really great book. Um, it's by C.S. Lewis. But it's about this older devil who is um, trying to teach his younger nephew devil how to get this patient to leave the church. This patient had just become a Christian. And the older devil is trying to get this younger nephew devil to get him to leave, to, to, to abandon the faith. And this, this patient, this, this young Christian, had just started going to church. And screw tape the uncle writes to his nephew, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. There's no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, all the habits of the Christian, are both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. And so he goes on to say after this, if you want this man to leave Christianity, if you want him to, to abandon his faith, you get him to start nitpicking on all the differences of the church, how he's different from everyone in there, how he's not just like all these other people. Get him disinterested. He's going to stop showing up. Once he stops showing up, it's going to be easy because he's not going to care about being involved in the church. And you want to know what ha creates havoc for the ecclesia, for this church, for this body of believers, is when you become disinterested, when you stop showing up to things, when you only show up once a week for things. That's what creates havoc for this church. So our last verse that we're going to, I think our last verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you have fervent love for each other, when you are hospitable, when you don't grumble, when you don't complain, that's when the church grows. When you use your gifts, when you use your talents together, the church will be mutually benefited because of that. And so I you might be thinking, well, what can I do to be part of the church? What can I do to be, to be a part of this ecclesia here at Anna Street? Got a couple few practical tidbits. Have others over for dinner. And we get in the habits of having the exact same people over every time. Have others over. Have people that you don't normally talk to or, or don't normally associate with. Maybe all you do is have your family over for dinner. Have other Christians over. Uh, and grow together in that. Say yes. It's so hard when you keep inviting people over and they keep saying, no, I've got other things to do. Sometimes you've got to sacrifice. Sometimes it takes sacrifice. It takes sacrificing sleep. It takes sacrificing driving 45 minutes. I know that's a, I mean, people here, I mean, y'all live very far apart. Sometimes that takes sacrifice and that can't be an excuse. Because God wants us to be a part of each other's lives. Be early to the assembly. 
And I know that's hard sometimes, and that's probably stepping on some toes. It's hard to arrange a service. It's hard to, to be involved in each other's lives when you get here two minutes before or just right after church starts and leave right after. Stay late to the assembly. And I, I know that y'all don't have late services here, but sometimes you just need to sacrifice a little sleep. Sometimes you just need to do whatever it takes to grow together, to, to have conversations with each other, um, whether that's in the Sunday afternoon or Wednesday after Bible study. Plan an activity. You might be thinking, well, we never do anything together. The church I go to, we just can't get anybody to do anything. Well, plan it. And so I've, I've complained about that stuff a lot, but sometimes it, to have an activity, there needs to be a planner. Some of the best things, some of the, the biggest memories that I have are on church camping trips. And you may hate camping, but sometimes it takes sacrifice. Sometimes you need to just do things that you don't like to do to be involved in the church. And so if, if you're one of those people that, that say there's never anything to be done, why don't you change that? Why don't you plan something? Be a member of the Ecclesia. Be a member of the community of God's people. Don't miss what God has to offer you through this body of believers because there's great people in here, great relationships, and the church is going to grow if we can do that together. But to do that, you need to be a part of that invisible church that we talked about earlier, that, that group that's made up only of the saved, Christ called. We read early in 1 Peter chapter 2, about being a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, being called out of darkness. That word called and or called out, ecclesia right there. We've got to be out of darkness. And if you're not that way this morning, if you're still living in the darkness, you've not been saved, you need to be. You need to be baptized to, to, because to be a part of the community of God, you've got to be saved. And Christ calls us to live a new life. This morning, if he's calling you to be a part of the ecclesia, if you need to obey him in baptism, and you need to be saved this morning, I encourage you this morning to come forward. This church would love to help you with that. They'd love to welcome you into this group here at Anna Street, and we'd love to baptize you this morning uh, to become a part of that church. If there's any other need that you need, we would love to as well. I mean, that's what, that's what community in the church is, is, is bearing with one another through whatever issues we have. It's confessing your faults one to another, and that's what the church is for. It's to help you. It's not to shame you. And so this morning, I hope that if you have any need, that you'll come forward as we sing this invitation song.